God is speaking to us um, more on holiness today. That's not what I prepared. So, Lord, if you want to change the topic, you can do that. <laughs> um, many years ago, I participated in a, what they call faith walk during a family camp uh, run by a church. We, the participants, were blindfolded, and we were ushered into a van and driven off to a, it felt like a really far place. It was a long ride. And we were asked to hold a rope that connected everyone in one line. And that line was uh, uh, led by a leader. And he, uh, in the beginning, he, he um, spoke to us in a loud voice. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So his voice represented God's voice. And, and here and there, he um, said the Bible verses. Um, so it was uh, you know, memorable that we are really listening to God's voice and blindfolded. We had nothing else to uh, rely on but this rope. And the rope uh, symbolized the Holy Spirit who leads us in life journey. In the middle of the walk, I could feel that we are going through some wooded area because I could feel the tree bark on my skin and the staff was uh, helping us to go through those areas. And at some point, I felt that ocean breeze is coming from below and I could feel the breeze. And I uh, realized that we were walking on a cliff. I got scared because I have acrophobia. Um, but I could not, you know, stop. I could not say, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't do this. I could not walk back because everyone was connected to this line. So I had to, um, you know, swallow my fear and continue that walk. Um, yeah, I, and I've, I, I almost heard the sea, uh, the, the, you know, waves crashing on this cliff, and it was scary. And I had to hold on to the rope really tight because that's the only device preventing me uh, from falling off the cliff. When the walk was over, I took off the blindfold and looked around. To my surprise, I was in the same place before I was driven off by the van. So I asked the staff, where were we during the walk? And she said, the van ride uh, was meant to confuse us so that we would get the impression that we were going really far, but actually we never left the church ground, which was in the middle of prairie, far <laughs> from any ocean or a cliff. Wow. I had a wild imagination, but, <laughs> but I learned that my fear could create a convincing fairy tale in my mind. Mm. Because of my height fear, my fear started feeding into my mind that you are on a cliff. You are in danger. You have reason to be scared. And I was sweating for no reason. What kind of phobias or anxious thoughts do you have? I want you to examine your heart. Honestly, you don't have to tell us, but I want you to examine. 
What is being fed into your mind? Do you know that our mind can distort reality? God says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Do you understand your heart? So we would like to take the journey of uh, um, not really understanding our heart, but what to do with the fear through Psalm 27. This, this Psalm addresses definitely the fear in our hearts. It guides us what to do when fear eats up our minds. Do you have that experience that you are just completely frozen uh, because of fear? But uh, before we started that, I can tell you that there may be two things that uh, bother you um, to uh, resonate with David's emotion here, um, which I experienced too. First, David has an antagonistic attitude toward his enemies. He um, literally wishes his uh, enemies to be, um, to be destroyed. But Jesus told us to love our enemies. So what, to do? what do we do with this? Are we supposed to love our enemies or wish our enemies be destroyed as David does? So that's one question. And then the second is um, most of us, including me, have blessed lives and do not have enemies who, uh, who try to uh, bring calamities to us. Do you? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Uh, I might have suffered due to other people's unkindness, ignorance, or selfishness. However, no one tried to kill me or destroy my life with a malicious intention. So my situation is different from what David experienced. So what do we do with the Psalms that celebrate God's future judgment on the enemies? Because uh, many Psalms actually uh, mention, um, you know, and, and celebrate beforehand what God will do to the enemies. The Bible tells us that we Christians have an arch enemy mm, who opposes God and breathes violence into our lives. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 warns, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That includes us. The devil tries to devour us. So we are expected to resist him and pray for God's vengeance on him. We're not expected, we are not commanded to love the devil. In this sense, David's struggle against his enemy and his fear are not irrelevant to us. So let's look at the psalm. The psalm is divided into largely two parts. Verses 1 through 6 um, has David's confession of his confidence in God's protection. And verses 7 through 12 is a prayer. And the last two verses are maybe, you can call it conclusion or exhortation. Um, so let's look at from the very beginning. Verse 1, it says, The Lord is my light. And my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Beautiful statement, isn't it? But you see, fear is mentioned twice to here. 
That double reference indicates that David faces the enemy's attack and refuses to be dominated by fear. When fear comes into your heart, do you refuse it or do you give in? As I said earlier, when fear grips our mind, we easily believe in the deception that fear creates in our mind. As I thought that I was on the cliff. David fights back and rejects fear by stating the truth. The Lord is my light and my salvation. I have no reason to submit to fear. You know, in psychology, they say that fear is an emotion. Emotion is a natural thing. So we cannot resist our uh, you know, emotion, including fear. Um, but here, fear, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. So if you, if you think about that, hold on to it. I will definitely address that issue. So moving on to verse 2, here uh, it says, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. So it is in present tense, but actually the tense of the Hebrew ber- verbs uh, are more often translated as past. So when we read it as past, when evildoers assailed me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumbled and fell. So then we see that David's confidence in God is based on his past experience of God's faithfulness and his deliverance. So when we have challenging situations, Rather than, you know, let fear run our imagination wild, we can do the same. We can remind ourselves of God's faithfulness in the past. Come on, God had done this in the past, and he had done that. So in this situation, God will do the same. And actually, this crisis is not as bad as what, what I had before, and we can calm our nerve. Sometimes, you, you know, uh, you can recite or memorize the Bible verse, like uh, Psalm 27.1 is a very good one. And you can tell yourself many times a day so that you can hear the truth throughout the day, that God is my light and salvation. You know, uh, what I fear will not happen to me, or God will lead me through this trial. So far, so good. I have done this, and I'm sure many of you have done that too. But verse 3 is problematic. It says, Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Who can do this? (laughs) We're not talking about the United States. The United States has an army, you know, very powerful army. United States, the, uh, the army has a you know, powerful weapon. So if a foreign nation, um, you know, attack us, uh, we have the ability to, uh, to fight back. But me, the war arises against me alone. But this is what I'm expected to feel. I'll be honest with you. 
I cannot maintain my peace. <laughs> if a foreign nation attacks me alone and they bring, uh, the war breaks out against me, I'm telling you, I have no bodyguard. I don't have an army to protect me from any uh, nation's attack. If KGB is after me, I will definitely fear for my life, won't you? I may ask God, what are you doing this? Why are you, why, why are you letting this happen to me? You're supposed to protect me. Come on, you have to do your job. And I may ask, you know, cry out to God to save me, but certainly I will not have much time to engage in uh, um, deep prayers. Instead, I will Google to find a good method of disguising myself. <laughs> I will watch Mission Impossible several times. Try to find a way to live as a fugitive and to find a good method, uh, uh, to find, find a good place to hide and a safe transportation to get me there and maybe a trustworthy friend who can be a contact point between myself and my family. I will become extremely busy devising a plan to beat my enemy and to save myself while worrying. Worrying and worrying sick. This is the way that I lived for many years until my husband fell into a coma and eventually died. It was, it was the size of problem that I had back then was not something that I could do anything about. I mean, if you know, a person has a cancer, there is a, you know, a plan to uh, treat that cancer. Coma, nothing. Because the problem was so big, it was a mountain-sized problem, I needed to do something else because my worry did not get me anywhere, and I knew that very clearly. So what does verse 3 tell us about David? He's not like me. He had a flawless record of victories on the battlefield. But soon, we see that his confidence was not in his fighting ability. So in that sense, he's coping, uh, the way that he coped with his crisis was different from mine. Verses 4 to 6 reveal the way David fought the war and the reason for his confidence in victory. What was his strategy? Verse 4 says, One thing have I asked to the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Do you think this can be your uh, way of fighting back in a scary situation? To me, it sounds like David has no intention of engaging in the battle, but avoiding it. He's just running away into the temple. And modern psychology tells us that avoidance is not a good way of dealing with a you know, stressful situation. You have to engage in it, right? But David approached God to know and, admi uh, to know and admire him, not to run away from the problem, but to honor that God is the sovereign Lord even in the battlefield. So he has a conviction that when I go to, to God, that's the best way is of fighting um, my situation, you know, fighting against my enemies. 
And surprisingly, David's priority was not his agenda. He didn't talk about his problem right away. He did not focus on what, but who. I want you to take this as a second point that I'm talking about today. Don't focus on what, how to solve the problem, but who. David, that, that's David's attitude. David had an intimate knowledge and relationship with God. He knew that being immersed in the fellowship with God empowers him to fight his battle. We know that David did not avoid the battle. He was a warrior. He was a mighty warrior. And this is how he fought his battle. You see, prayer is not simply asking God's help. He's not our servant employed to solve our problems. The purpose of prayer is primarily developing intimate relationship with God. Are we doing that in our prayer time? Our confidence in God grows as our intimacy with him deepens. I want you to think about the, the um, challenge you are facing at this time. It could be a threat. It could be a challenge. Um, whatever it is, are you worshiping God first? Because he's the only one who can help you to go through this trial or crisis. You will find the answer in worshiping him. That's what David is telling us. Verse 5 reads, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. So this is a result of his rich relationship with God in verse 4. David did not want to fight the battle on his turn, but under God's protection, which is understandable, yes. But I have a little bit of a problem with verse 5 because it sounds like he is hiding. I mean, he's not really fighting, but he's hiding. Why did he use the word hide? Because he could have said that, I will fight the battle under the protection of God. But he said, I will be hiding in God's shelter. It sounds like he's a helpless kid who has no ability to fight this battle. We know that when someone hides, that person is afraid of something. It sounds like David was not a fearless one. His heart was not insulated 100% from fear because fear is an emotion. You can't reject your emotion. It's a natural thing. So when you face certain situations, you feel fear, don't condemn yourself for being uh, faithless. That's natural. But behind that fear, there is a someone who is cheering on for you to be fearful. That is the devil. So when we give in to that fear, when we listen to the fear too much, we are sucked into the devil's scheme. But here, David uses his fear not to run away from God, but to run to him. So it's important when you feel fear, what to do with it? You, you make it as an opportunity to run to God more often. That's what David did. But if you listen to your fear and all this wild imagination that it creates, you are sucked into the devil's skin. The Bible gives only two choices. 
either this, either listen to the devil or listen to God. David's helplessness make him utterly depend on God. So to run to God, you have to admit you have no ability to fight this battle. If you still have some methods of finding, like a Google and whatever, then you will not run to God. I'm sorry. You will come up with your, your plan. And maybe God will let you succeed, but your relationship with God will not grow. But when God gives you the, the mountain-sized problem that you cannot solve, as I experienced, remember, there is only one, one way which is running to God's throne. As David worshipped God in the temple, he experienced God's loving protection of him, and his faith and confidence in his Savior grew. This was his secret strategy in fighting against the impossible. How about us? Many times we walked into the, uh, uh, the prayer closet with the bags of issues and problems. And when we walk into that right away, we start opening the bags and show God, these are the problems that you should solve. <laughs> and then as soon as we are done, we walk out of the closet and we just don't develop any relationship with God. We don't wait there to, um, for, for God to speak to us. And that's why um, our relationship remains very shallow with God. Recently, I started um, you know, spending much more time just waiting for God rather than bring all these uh, uh, intercessory prayer, uh, you know, the list of intercessory prayers. Because God knows the list. I don't have to remind him in detail. I don't have to tell him that you should do this, you should give that person that, and you should, uh, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, give him, you know, uh, talk to him certain, you know, people so that he will find a way. All these detailed of information, God knows better than me. I don't have to tell him that. When I worship him and when I sit by his, um, by his uh, throne, that he transforms me first so that the Holy Spirit fills my heart and then I would, have a, I, I would know what to do. I would, because in my ability, I have no ability actually to do anything. My granddaughter, I have a granddaughter. <laughs> She's four. <laughs> um, she asked me to draw something. So I drew a cat, and she looked at it, and she said, that's the ugliest cat that I have ever seen. <laughs> so I said, I agree with you. And she was surprised that I agreed with her. And she said, so, Grandma, what, uh, what, um, you know, what can you do well? What ability do you have? And I told her, I cannot do anything very well. And I said, that's OK. Because that's why I run to God. If I trust my ability, if I have a you know, confidence that I can do this well, that much I will not rely on God. But let me tell you, I, I mean, you know, whenever I open my laptop, I get scared because I was hacked once. I did not know what to do with that. So that means that whenever I pay the bill, I get scared. <laughs> 
um, you know, when something is not working in the house, I get scared. My husband used to fix everything. So I get scared. So I'm learning to fix it by myself with the help of YouTube. But I pray to God, Lord, I don't know how to do this, so you should help me. <laughs> Being scared is not in a, in a bad place, I realized, as long as you run to God because of your fear. What is your priority in life? Is running to God your priority? Do you depend on God like a little child or try to be an adult before God? Do you regard him like a consultant whom you inquire occasionally or do you really worship him as the Lord of your life? David demonstrated his full trust in God. You know, he's amazing. That's why his prayer in verse 9 is, uh, surprises us. Verse 9, he says, Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Um, cast me not off. Forsake me not. Where is his faith? He commends us using four short sentences in a negative form. Hide not, turn not, cast not. Forsake none. Didn't he express his confidence in God's protection before? What happened? But I can assure you, this prayer is not a telltale sign of David's theological ambivalence or hypocrisy. But it shows that he, he is uh, in, in crisis, which is uh, so urgent and so threatening that he's scared. Because this is a dire situation uh, where in which even his parents had forsaken him, meaning nobody is there for him. He is left alone to fend for himself. Have you experienced that? Then what did you do if you experienced it? Did you resent anyone? You know, did you resent the world? Did you resent God? How come there is nobody? who stands by me. It's so easy to be resentful and accusing everybody else. But we need to run to God. And we should cry out as David had done. David said, um, David is saying, will you, turn, uh, will you turn me away too? You alone can save me. Crying out to God is um, much more time, uh, you know, saving time and energy than accusing others and being resentful. Do you realize that? By just uh, ruining and giving your heart to uh, hatred and resentment and bitterness, you don't gain anything. Rather, run to God and cry out to him because he's a faithful father. I mean, I can boast God's faith faithfulness in the past, but let me tell you, Fear is my first instinctive response when facing a new trial. As I said, even paying the bill scares me. <laughs> but I'm encouraged that I'm not alone. David was scared too. The man of faith, David, was scared too. I feel that David can understand and accept my insecurities, even when I had problems with my insecurities. When I felt ashamed of my small faith, I feel that David understands that. 
that means God can too. God does not judge me unfaithful if I cry out to him in desperation. I mean, I had done that all in the past. How come you don't have any faith in me and you still come to me and crying out? God does not say that. On the contrary, he encourages us to come to him and cry out for help so that we will experience and know that he is our faithful father. We experience, we know that he loves us. He is the Lord our God, according to the Exodus language. He will give us fresh revelation and grace to endure every trial we come across. After crying out to God, David is restored in his earlier confidence, and he exhorts the readers to be strong and courageous and to wait for the Lord in the last verse. So what's the relationship with this last verse and the first verse? The first verse, which says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You see, this beautiful confession of a trusting in God is only for those who wait for the Lord with a dogged perseverance during a time of trial. You can say this, but unless you went through that trial with the perseverance and you, you don't know what it means that Lord is truly your light and he's your salvation. And he's the only light and only salvation. You will not know what that means until you are waited for the Lord with perseverance. I know perseverance is not a welcome word these days. People love instantaneous responses and speedy resolutions. Me too. I came from a Korean culture, which means everything has to be speedy. The word that the, the, uh, uh, the foreigners, when they come, uh, come to Korea, the first word they, they learn is pali pali, which means hurry, hurry. That's the culture. And if we dare to wait for the Lord, we are tempted, distracted, bored, or discouraged. We may want to give up waiting altogether. We may, we may say that this does not work. I have to come up with a different solution. However, God does not work according to our schedule, our sense of time. Because for him, 1,000 years is like one day, and one day is like 1,000 years. And victory belongs to those who acknowledge their utterly helpless state and endure the time of waiting. Because if you don't recognize that you are utterly helpless, you will not wait. You will not run to the throne of God. You will not cry out to him. David encourages the readers to wait with the strength and courage. Because waiting is not easy. It is not a time of being idle. Oh, God will take care of it. Um, so I don't have to do anything. And honky-dory, you go out and have fun. No, it's not. Waiting time is not like that. It's a time of actively pursuing intimacy with God. 
overcoming the temptations to give up the faith walk and holding on to the Holy Spirit like that rope that I um, you know, uh, described earlier because he's the only guide during that time. Waiting is for the brave. What is your response to this psalm? Are you willing to wait? Are you willing to run to the throne of God? Are you willing to cry out to him? So let me recap. You know, I, I don't like doing this. <laughs> uh, I just lead people through some, you know, scenes and let them feel and let the Holy Spirit move their heart and grab whatever they can. So that's, that's the way that I gave sermons before. But a, a month ago, I was in South Korea, and, and every Sunday I spoke to these uh, Filipino young um, people who really didn't know much about the gospel. And after the first sermon, the second week when I went there, I found that people really did not remember what I said before. So then I started going over what I said the week before so that the, the, the one month that I was uh, preaching, they would remember, okay, the first time Sophie said this, second time, so it was all connected. So I, I, it worked much better. So let me recap. <laughs> first, when fear or an, any negative thought, I mean, a negative thought like uh, resentment, um, resentment or bitterness, all these are connected to fear. There is a fear when, when you feel resentment, you've, you, are, uh, you have a fear of a rejection. You have a fear of uh, you know, future disadvantage, you know, uh, um, you know, future like um, you know, brokenness. So it's all negative. All these negative thoughts or fear, when that rises up in your mind, what do we do? Don't listen to it. Don't listen to um, all these uh, stories that these uh, emotions create in your mind. Do not give your imagination to its deceptive voice. Because all these negative things, uh, you know, uh, create a deceptive uh, picture in your mind. Rather, remind yourself the truth as often as needed. Recite the Bible verses to yourself or, um, you know, memorize the Bible verses and tell yourself, this is the truth. I am not going to listen to that voice. Because uh, behind that voice, there is the enemy. Number two, consider it as a good opportunity to run to God. Don't let the problem dominate your thought and your action. Fix your eyes on the beauty of the Lord and seek intimacy with God. He is an amazing God. He has an intimate uh, knowledge. I mean, he's infinite knowledge that he knows everything. He and his heart is just so full of compassion. He wants to intervene in your situation, and he wants to help you out. He wants to t um, to uh, uh, you know build a relationship with you. Sit at the throne of God as long as it takes until you are assured of uh, Him being with you. Wait with courage. Number three, cry out to God. 
Many people in the Western world are unfamiliar with the idea of crying out to God and feel uncomfortable with it because of the, uh, the um, rational education in the Western world. They would rather maintain their poise and discuss the matter with God. God, you should do this, and you should move someone's heart, and you should work this out so that this and that will happen. However, the Bible regards highly of a crying out. According to the rabbinic tradition, crying out is a superior prayer to a silent one. And lament, which is crying out to God, basically, is um, a genre in the Old Testament. And don't ignore that genre. Go to God. Abandon yourself to God's loving embrace and cry out to him. Lord, I can't handle this. I have no wisdom. I have no ability. I can't do this. So I come to you. And I want to fix my eyes upon you. And I know that you will lead me through this jungle. What are you taking from this? Will you wait with courage? Will you wait with patience until God leads you through to the end of the tunnel or this life? Because we are waiting until God, until Jesus Christ comes back. This is a waiting period. Do we realize that? I would like to recite verse 1 together. And with that, I'll end my sermon. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? No one. We should not be afraid of no one. We should be, we should fear only God.